be seated. Man, what a prayer. Just to sing that prayer together. You realize when we're singing, we're praying, right? Sometimes it's uh, praying scripture. Sometimes it's just getting our hearts in line with what God wants in his scripture and agreeing with it. Sometimes it's requesting things. And that song to me is such a powerful prayer just to invite the presence of Holy Spirit in this place. To ask him to help us to become more aware of his presence and his activity and in tune with him. That's a prayer I can say amen to. Amen? All of us. All right. So uh, vision series are really fun. There's something that we try to do between books at least once a year. Because vision is one of those things that we can lose track of. We can get so busy putting out fires uh, just making Sunday or uh, community group or an outreach happen that we forget the heart behind it and the spirit of it. And it's been said, without vision, the people what? Perish. That's right. So we're going to go through the strategies of our church. Every church, honestly, should be able to live within these strategies. And there's probably nothing all that unique about our vision statement or about our strategies. But what we do realize is that if we say we want our church to be a pinnacle of light and truth in our community, to be a place where we introduce them to a relationship with God, and then we introduce to people to the fact that those relationships with others now change through our relationship with God, that's relationships built on grace. But how are we going to do that? We say that's our purpose. We say that's our mission. How are we going to do that? That's what strategies are. The four strategies that we have as a church are four things that we're going to try to do and do well. We're going to try to do worship services well, community groups well, families well, and service outreach well. Those are, the, those are our specialties. That's we want to be the kind of church that if we were a restaurant, we wouldn't have a menu that's 17 pages long, but a nice, clean, succinct menu with really good food that we can order from, but maybe not overcomplicate things. So as a church, we may not reach every niche of ministry opportunity in our community, but we're hoping to do a few things and do them really well, and that the global church can reach with all of our helps, all the ministries, the four ministries we do are going to be those four. So the first one is kind of obvious, honestly. Just about every church has this as one of their strategies, don't they? A worship service, a weekly worship service. And the worship service is crucial because it's commanded in Scripture, and it's something that will help us grow. But let's just talk really quickly about what we do in our worship services. Because there are a lot of different ways that you can do a worship service, and a lot of them aren't right or wrong. They're just, what flavor is your church? So there's a few things that we see as really important. One is to sing. We're actually commanded and called in Scripture to sing unto the Lord. We should take that seriously. We don't always. Um, I was a choir boy in high school. I was that nerd. Uh, it wasn't that cool to be in choir when I was young. Is it cool? It's kind of cool now, right? Some of our kids, it's all right to be artsy-fartsy or musical or whatever. Um, band, the band geeks, it, we got any of you in the crowd? Any band geeks out there? Come on, be proud. 
Yeah, we got some band geeks. Any orchestra nerds? See, thank you. That's my son. He's used to talking to me. You, you guys can do that too. All right, and any, any choir boys and choir girls out there? Come on. All right. Like I said, it just wasn't cool, but I loved to sing. It was one of those things that my, ki- my, uh, my mom and dad, they, they taught me from a young age to love to sing. So I love to sing, but not all of you men specifically love to sing. So I'm going to call you out a little bit. We're called to sing. You may not think it sounds great. You may not think it's all that manly, but God says, sing my praises. And there's something special that happens when God's people sing. Second thing we do is we preach. We preach not my opinions or Drew's opinions or the thoughts and opinions of the greatest and latest church models that are happening across America and the purpose-driven and this and that and the other. No, we preach God's word straight from the book, and we take it seriously. We preach it, and we mean it, and we live it. It's another thing that we do. And we preach, hopefully not just biblical truth as information, but application. What are we going to actually do about it? One of my favorite things about wrap-up weeks is I get to hear a bunch of people say, this is what I'm actually doing about it. This is how it hit me where I live. Thirdly, we pray. We just pray together. We sang prayers together. Prayer in a corporate sense is actually super cool. Uh, It's funny in my community group even, and we've been together a long time. We're super tight. We're super close. There's still people I'm like, hey, would you open us up in prayer? And they're like, seriously, me? Do Do I have to? I mean, why, why do you always call on me, Kevin? We're a little nervous. and We're a little bit scared to pray publicly, and yet it's a conversation with God. There is nobody that's a good prayer or a bad prayer, unless you're like, I don't know, cursing at God and telling him he's horrible. I, you, you talk to God. There's no, like, more polished prayers that somehow get through more. We shouldn't be admiring those that can use old King James in their prayer as more holy than the rest of us that can be like, God, I need your help. I'm screwing up right now. I really like you. Okay, signing off. That's as holy a prayer as any old King James language prayer, right? Do we believe that, though? And do we believe that there's a special power when we get to pray together? I'd encourage you this, too. Agree In corporate prayer, whether it's in your small group, whether it's in a church service, when somebody's praying, agree in your heart or vocally. It's okay to say amen. It's okay to say, yeah, God, yeah, that, that. And to agree so that we are praying corporately with that special kind of uh, power. Uh, We also give. Giving our offering to the Lord is, is really a great privilege, and it's a great opportunity. It's something we get to do. It's something that we do because we're being obedient. And it's something that we do because it's worship. It shows like no other thing in Kevin Pitt's life, my dependence on God, my gratitude toward God. And it is worship because Jesus cares where my treasure lies. We also observe the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper was instituted by Jesus on the night that he was betrayed so that we can commemorate and observe, worship, and participate in some small way in what Jesus did on the cross. The cross is central. 
It's the only thing that gives us hope into the future and forgiveness because Jesus took the penalty on himself and gave us the credit for his righteousness. So the cross has to be central. It's a sacrament, and it's a privilege to take the Lord's Supper together. Finally, we, we actually eat food together. Now, this one might seem a little less spiritual, but really it's not. Um, there's something special about sharing food together. Think back through your memory about how many Old Testament stories there are around a meal or regarding food, things that should be eaten or should be eaten, and how this really detailed instructions by God. God seems to care about food in the Old Testament. Now think about the life of Jesus. How many of those stories are in someone's home sharing a meal? How many times does Jesus talk about food? And then, of course, the Lord's Supper, which we just talked about, was around this Last Supper, the Passover meal. He ate that with it. That one of the last things he wanted to do with his disciples was eat with them. When he was risen from the grave, what happened? He goes on to the shore, got the fish. He cooks the fish. He eats fish with them on the shore. In fact, Jesus said, I'm not going to drink of the vine again until the meal in eternity that he seems to be looking forward to. When we get to heaven, there's going to be a feast with Jesus. Food is really important to God, isn't it? There's something kind of cool that happens, I think, too, when we get together and we actually eat together. It becomes less of this formal kind of let's all, you know, get our finely pressed clothes and really put our best foot forward and go to church and sit down and stand up when they say, and it, you know, we've got these regiments. It becomes more family. It becomes more intimate when we can just kind of eat together. So since the beginning of TG Dev, anyway, we try to eat together as often as possible. And I try to have food everywhere we're going to meet together because I think there's something special about it. But I think maybe m even more importantly than what we do, because you probably know that if you've been around here, is why we do what we do. Why does God call us to meet together for worship? I think one of the things is the potency of togetherness. Uh, John Piper put it this way, <coughs> Christians receive the heightened experience of worship in the corporate context. Our own awe is accentuated, our own adoration increased, our own joy doubled when we worship Jesus together. There's something special about being together. Pure adoration. God is great, and he's greatly to be praised. Amen? Amen? Shout it. Amen? He is great. He's marvelous. He's matchless. I have not enough words to describe him, nor do you. One of my favorite hymns says that if, if the whole sky was parchment... We couldn't write all the wonders of God on it. There, there, there isn't enough time. There isn't enough space. There isn't enough words. God is that great. The psalmist in Psalm 96 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. 
Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. When we come together to worship, it's in just pure adoration. And it's where we each should be for who God is and what he's done for us. I think another reason why is a constant call to holiness. Corporate worship plays an indispensable part in our sanctification and becoming more like Jesus because we are progressively becoming more like Jesus. <coughs> Through the cross, we positionally become like, like Jesus permanently and instantly when we believe in Jesus Christ. But there's a progress, a progressive part of our sanctification as well, where we are challenged by God's word and other brothers and sisters to be more like Christ, practically speaking, day by day. And we need that. We all know we need that. We fall back on our face over and over again like a dog returns to its vomit, the psalmist says. We go back to our sin. We need a constant call to holiness if we're going to have any hope of glorifying Jesus. I think another thing is that it, coming together restores comfort and assurance. I say restores because there are times when I feel very sure of my salvation and I'm like, yes, I know who I am in the Lord. I know who God is and I know what I've done. And then life happens and I get a little less sure. And I start to wonder, is it real? Is, does God even care? Is this, are you sure this is for my good and his glory? Because this seems just like poop. And, and my life feels like poop. And I just want to, like, Jonah, just kill me now, God. I get to that place. And I need some comfort. And I need some assurance of his love. And coming together does that for us. I think another really important thing is just living in healthy routine. Living in healthy routine. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt said this, You may worship God anywhere at any time, but the chances are that you will not do so unless you have first learned to worship him somewhere and in some particular place at some particular time. I mean, we all know Christians who've said that. Oh, I don't need the church to worship. I'm, I'm worshiping anytime, any place, anywhere. But have we really learned to worship him someplace, sometime, somewhere? If we, if we decided that's an important thing for us and that we're going to be committed to it. Healthy routine shows, again, where my heart is. But I think, last but not least, it's just pure obedience. We worship God and we come together in a worship service setting because God told us to. It's as simple as that. Hebrews 10, 22 to 25, just should probably sound familiar to most of you. <coughs> Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another, to provoke one another unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. <coughs> there are many who have forsaken the gathering of the, of the church, and it's not okay. 
God tells us the church is his bride. He loves it, and we're to love it and be committed to it as well. And so worship services are something that we do because God tells us to do it. Finally, how are we going to do what we do? This is kind of the what call what we want the flavor of our church to be. What we want the values of our church to be. We want to do everything we do with excellence, first of all, because God is excellent. The message we bring is excellent. We want to do everything we can for things to be presented well and intelligently. God isn't God isn't a, a second-rate God. He's a first-class God, and so I want to give him my very best. We want to do things with a smile. Um, I uh, When I try to describe our church to people, I say we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we take the Bible very seriously. And that's a good thing. It, it's good to have a sense of humor. It's good to smile. It's good to choose joy. Not that we're pasting it on and being fake, but that we're choosing joy. Joy is a choice. Happiness, that's dependent on where my circumstances are today. And I'm happy sometimes. I'm sad sometimes. But joy is something I can be all the time. And so we're going to do things at our church with a smile and with joy on purpose and as a choice. Third, obviously, though, with conviction. We don't take ourselves too seriously. We do take the Bible seriously. We know that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. We believe in the Word, and so we're going to do it with conviction. We're going to preach it with conviction and with a passion. We're also going to do it with kids in mind. We love our children. Children are never an inconvenience. There's even stories of Jesus Christ himself when he's walking around earth and the children are flocking to him. They just wanted to be with him. He had something contagious about him because he was the creator of the universe. And here come all the kids and the disciples are like, oh, this is an inconvenience to Jesus. Bring the kids. Look out, kids. Jesus is very important. He's, he doesn't have time for this. And Jesus is like, no, these kids are not an inconvenience to me. These kids are alive. And believe it or not, their hearts are usually more receptive than you adults. They actually want to believe in me and talk to me. They don't have as many preconceived notions and parts of their story that makes them want to kind of reject the things that the Bible and says, well, well, that might say that in the Bible, but I kind of know better because I've lived life. Kids don't talk like that. They don't think like that. I love kids, Jesus said. We need to prioritize kids in our church as well. Because truthfully, more fruit comes for people believing in salvation for the very first time from those 18 and under than those 19 and above by far. So statistically speaking, if we want to grow the church in Thurston County, we need to have kids in mind. Finally, we also need to have unbelievers in mind, though. It's not that we are going to soft sell the gospel. It's not that we're going to water down anything that we say. Truth is going to come with conviction, but we don't want to become so strange and different in the language that we use or the clothes that we wear that it's something other to an unbeliever. We want to have a whimsical charm to the message that we present. Because the gospel is offensive in and of itself. Scripture says that. And we are strangers and aliens in a world where we're going to be different. But let's not make ourselves different in ways that the Bible doesn't make us different. 
Let's not write extra rules into the Bible that the Bible doesn't actually say or sin and try to keep those standards too. Let's not be, become this legalistic bunch of pious people that aren't relatable at all. Let's have unbelievers in mind while we bring the gospel that's going to be offensive in and of itself. But let's have them in mind. Let's think about them. Paul says that he became all things to all men so that some might believe. We won't change the gospel. We won't change what the Bible says sin is. We're, we're going to call it sin. We won't, we won't change how we're saved. It's through grace. But we might approach the gospel in different creative ways with the unbeliever in mind. Worship services are a powerful part of what we do. And we want to do our Sunday mornings really well. We want to do them in a way that honors God and his word. And we want to keep doing those things and revisiting those things and giving ourselves little report cards to see if we're actually doing it. These are important things for us to do, to come back to vision and say, Lord, are we doing what you've asked us to do and are we doing it well? Let's keep looking at those things. Pastor Drew.